Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the podcast designed to help you thrive and raise the bar in your aesthetics practice. I'm Dr. Adam Chong. I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Dr. Tim Pierce is a GP, founder and director of Skin Viva and Skin Viva Training. Uh, Dr. Adam Chong is a clinical tutor at Manchester University, a GP as well, and also a trainer at Skin Viva Training. So, Tim, nice weather today. Beautiful weather. I've had a very unusual day uh, today because we we're doing this part of the, the I haven't told you this actually yet one of the things we're trying to do because we're interested in the psychology of our patients is today I did one of our client um, real patient stories and it's lambing season in Buxton and we went over <laughs> and I was actually um, interviewing her about what her treatments mean to her but while there were baby sheep running around and the sky was blue and it was really beautiful and but very weird day for me because that's not normally what my day <laughs> runs like um, but yeah look out for that on the Skin Viva page if you want to see what we're up to it'll probably be out in about a month um, but I, I love that the real person underneath stuff because so much of, of our industry can be perceived to be a projection of something that's unattainable mm. um, and I, I just love that she's up to her knees and in hay and baby sheep one day and then she's having a treatment and she feels great and she's off back to the farm the next day Um, and it just makes me feel happy that there's this extra depth to everyone maybe some of the lambs could come in for a treatment (laughs) three areas lambs have glabella um complex only angry ones (laughs) i've no no i didn't see any glabellas i know camels do because there was that thing that went viral about camels Having uh, having Botox to look better for the competition, so I'm sure lambs have. Are you serious? Seriously, that happens. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll do our research about lambs. Maybe we could get some <laughs> more clients in that way. So, last week's podcast was on emergency reversals. If you haven't listened, uh, we've had some really good feedback. So do go ahead and check that out. Um, Tim, what's the main topic for this week then? So we're going to systematically work through the face, and we thought we'd start with. Uh, what a lot of people perceive to be a foundation treatment, which would be the nasolabial fold, and try and give you some stuff that you didn't know about the nasolabial fold, maybe a little bit more depth on the stuff that you did know, uh, and hopefully make an interesting topic out of something that's sometimes perceived to be quite basic. Okay, so before we go on to that, let's have our clinical tip of the week. Right, so I was thinking, um, once again, probably a lot of the best tips come around three-dimensional anatomy versus two-dimensional anatomy. And it's something I realized quite early on in training people is that too often we get our mental image of what's going on from a textbook, which is tends to be a two-dimensional image. And so it's quite easy to consider that you're injecting, for example, around the crow's feet. When you're injecting orbicularis oculi, you, you choose the area in a two-dimensional way and then you place the syringe or the needle as, as you might um, in another injection that you do elsewhere and the depth is not something you closely consider. But if you take a normal BD syringe and you inject at full depth, you've probably gone considerably beneath orbicularis oculi, possibly beneath the fat, and you may actually be sitting on the zygomatic muscle, particularly if you're inferior. So um, that's something that I think maybe people who haven't haven't done a lot of a lot of 3D anatomy or it's something that they just missed on that first course, you know, because there's a lot to take in. Um, if they miss that three-dimensional approach, then you are you're risking getting a basically a zygomaticus palsy, and and that's a very unpleasant side effect if you get it. Very rare. I've seen one person come to our clinic to try and ask for help for a correction in ten years, but it does happen. But basically, think about your 3D depth. It's the most superficial thing, straight after the skin. You basically have orbicularis 
have oculi and that's where you should inject it feels like you're not deep enough you're only about a fifth of the needle in but that's exactly the right place to put it and you'll keep your patients safe and cause fewer side effects just as a reminder for people in terms of the bleb or the little raise of the skin i always call it a bleb i don't know what the correct terminology is um what what should we be looking out for to know that we're in that right plane so if you're too superficial you're going to get blanching if you're just in the right plane you know so you're basically above the muscle but not in the muscle that works perfectly well really safe place to put it and you'll get a bleb if you go a little bit deeper you may not get a bleb but it'll still work yeah. and if you go deeper still you won't see anything and okay. it won't work so well but you also might affect the wrong muscle Fine. so a bit of a bleb a bit of a dome but ideally not blanching yeah is what we're looking it's for. super thin skin so you often get a bleb which i remember mm-hmm. Um, think I know some people panic when they see that. It's nothing to worry about. It'll go mm. in about five, ten minutes. I always tell the patients that it's going to disappear on its own. Don't worry. It's not going to last four months. <laughs> and the second question I had was about anatomy. And if people want to get a greater grasp of the anatomy of the area in depth, aside from doing live dissect, uh, cadaver dissection, what what would be the best way to do it? I mean, when you got into this industry, did you hit the textbooks? Is there an online anatomy thing you've used honestly the textbooks that were available at that time uh, certainly the ones I had from medical school were too simple Mm. Um, so specialist textbooks on facial anatomy there's one I've just bought another one from um, from uh, Amazon which is really good and and relatively cheap for the textbook we can have there's one called facial topography which is an amazing textbook so good that I'm pretty sure someone stole it from me because <laughs> I used to have it in my room. It, I paid 150 pounds for it. It's now 500 quid on Amazon. Not but, on my shelf. But <laughs> we, I'll be going around everyone's house. I don't, I don't know. I used to talk about how expensive it was quite a lot when I was training people. <laughs> now it's gone. <laughs> no, it's, I probably lost it. You shouldn't cause. You shouldn't. It may just be misplaced somewhere. But um, but that is that's all cadaver specimens. Amazing anatomy. Great pictures. Um, the sort of textbook that tends to strip off layer by layer as well so you can see each thing so certainly 10 years ago there wasn't a lot of that stuff around it's now much more accessible so I would buy a specialist facial anatomy textbook um, rather than a general anatomy textbook which is what I had from med school when I started and they're not good enough yes great okay so uh, things you didn't know about treating the nasolabial fold so where would be a good place to start here then Um, well Probably the most important thing, as we always say, safety first. The first thing to say about the nasolabial fold is it's actually one of the more risky areas. So I think a lot of people, for some reason, you think because you learned it earlier on that it's safer. It's probably taught, the, the, the technique might be quite easy to deliver, but you're so close to the facial artery that it's actually one of the riskiest procedures. So we, you, should, you should think of it that way and then guide your treatment around that. That's probably the, the first thing I'd say that people don't necessarily cognify at this stage is that it's actually risky that artery for some people it can dip in and out of that nasolabial fold that's right isn't it and i believe it's at a a medium depth Um, yeah so that's an important thing to get and the thing i'm I'm quite into people doing is to work on developing a mental model the whole time so that you're you have at that moment of injection an image in your mind that that guides you in terms of how you place your needle it's not something that you glance at in the textbook and then go and inject it's actually should become alive in your mind at the point of injection Mm -hmm. Um, and that artery starts obviously on the just as it enters your face starts on the angle of the jaw and there's a little notch little notch that you can feel and you can feel a pulse it's actually about two centimeters from the gonial angle you'll feel a little notch 
and at that point it's right on the bone and of course it has to leave the bone because it crosses over your teeth there is no bone there anymore so it becomes intermediate depth and it's in the fat at that point until it reaches just around the ailer of your nose it reaches the angle the the angle of the nose and at, but all the way along there it's not no longer very deep it's in the fat underneath the skin so at, at the the ailer base of the nose it becomes a slightly more superficial um it's an intermediate depth at that point. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, it's not. It's not a superficial artery, but it's 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 more superficial. It's more superficial than you might think. It's not actually on the bone. Mm-hmm. It's actually above that. Okay. Um, hence, the depth that we teach here, injection should be avoiding that because it's either superficial down the fold or deep onto yeah. the periosteum, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So not superficial. It's in, it's intermediate around the fold because yeah. you can still treat a crease, which we'll probably come to later. Um, but you can't. You don't want to be adding too much volume unless you're using a cannula. Then it's probably okay. Okay, so that's the main uh, sort of arterial thing uh, things we need to be aware of. Any other anatomical? I think it's as part of it. You should also think about where those blood vessels are going because I always think that too often people think that if they do cause a problem with blood flow, it's going to be where they injected. And actually, you need to be thinking about where that blood is going to and which blood vessels are further down the line that might get blocked. Um, probably one of the more vulnerable ones is the lateral nasal artery that supplies the ailer of the nose. So you should tell people who are having this procedure if they get a painful corner of their nostril, basically, that they should let you know straight away because it could be to do with blood flow. Um, and that, that's another thing to think about is, is instead of just thinking locally, think about where those blood vessels go because that will help you pick up cases more quickly um, if they were to arise. Facial arteries, as you go up um, along the side of the nose, it, does it become the angular artery? That's right, so yeah. Directly linked from there. Okay. So again, that's a huge safety concern, isn't it? We want to stay well away from that. Mm-hmm. How about licensed doses? So the, there is no specific licensed dose. You can treat the area, but there isn't, there isn't a specific dose that's been said as, you know, that's what you should use each time, like we do with Botox. Okay. Um, but you can... But there is a spectrum, like with all things, there's a bell curve of effectiveness. Um, there probably isn't, if you're not going to put more than 0.1 in at this in deep injection on the periosteum, if you're not going to put more than 0.1 in, some people would argue, why put anything at all? Because you, you're, yeah. you're taking a risk without any benefit, really. So 0.1 is on the lower end. And then up to around 0.3 is what we say for, for, will capture 95% of people. So 0.3 mils, one injection, it's a bolus injection. That's, that's one of the ways that you can do this. That's quite a high volume to put to place in one point, but it's, but it's also relatively common. Uh, right. So yeah, I always thought it was, I had a figure in my head of 0.2 to 0.35 at that ALA base as a, I didn't know whether that was a licensed dose or just a, what is generally used by most practitioners, but so it's not it's nothing to do with the license here it's just generally what people have found to be effective yes it's that's your average average amount um, and i guess in terms of safety to try and avoid compression as well or is it more just yeah I've, this is results. worth thinking about i've certainly had heard people talk about what is the risk of compression of adding so much volume in that place where you're very close to a big blood vessel um i think it's unless there are other factors going on i think it'd be fairly unlikely that you compress the artery so much on both sides that you get necrosis you know maybe if they're highly arterial you know their arterial paths with loads of cardiovascular disease and hypertension all that stuff possibly it's going to be more of an issue um but i it doesn't feel naturally to me in that age group that pressure in that area is a problem it, it usually is quite it's lacking in volume isn't it 
Mm. So when you replace it, it doesn't it don't, you don't feel like you're stretching the area. You know, it feels very different if you're injecting a labella. You can tell there's not much pressure, there's not much space there. Similar yeah. on on noses, yeah. it's a tight space. Uh, it doesn't feel more, like that. It's a bit more forgiving yeah. in terms of space. Okay. Um, so I thought maybe we could split it up into fillers and Botox. So is there anything else in terms of technique or um, otherwise that, that is relevant here that people might need to know? So if you think about what it's like actually giving this injection, you the most tricky thing about it is you're supposed to be, the word I use is kissing the bone, um, you know, particularly when you're training, you don't want to teach them. You, you, you are touching the periosteum, and it's quite a scary sound um, when, it, when it touches up against it, particularly if it scrapes. So steadiness is really important. Mm. You want to really practice stabilizing every part of your body so that the only part that's free is basically your thumb and your injecting finger, and everything else is supported on something. So your hand, your elbow, your upper body, your hip even can be leaning against the bed, so it feels very, very secure. Mm. Then you're sliding in very slowly, kissing the bone very gently, aspirating and it, you must be stable at the point of aspiration or it doesn't count so you're keeping that needle tip exactly where it needs to be um, then aspirating and then delivering your your bolus um, in exactly that same spot um, warning your client that it's a little bit sensitive and that you're also on the on the route that the infraorbital nerve takes to the upper lip and they may get tingling and pain from that problem and they, they often do don't they they say oh my lips tingling now yeah we actually had one of our clinicians had this treatment and found it quite kind of upsetting. She knew, she knew the anatomy. She teaches it all the time. She's like, it's actually a little bit disturbing, that feeling. And mm-hmm. I'd never thought of it until I've actually had it myself. So bear that in mind. It's not, depending on the personality, it's not always just a bit of tingling. It feels like something's wrong with your body at that point. So warning them before that happens is, is a really nice thing to do so that you preempt the anxiety. How long should we tell people that that will last for? Um, I usually say, it, I mean, you get the tingling initially and then it might be numb maybe for an hour or so afterwards and then it should go away. Okay. Maybe to, up to two hours if in some people. Fine. Okay, so um, anything else filler related or do you want, should we move on to Botox techniques? More advanced things. Um, well, the only other thing I would say is I am, apart from the deep injection onto the periosteum, which is nice and stable and it's very good at replacing volume, it's also good for the other treatments that you can use it for, which I think we're going to come up to um, next. Um, I quite like cannulas now because of the artery problem and bruising. So if you're going to replace volume lower down in the nasolabial fold, so I like the one at the ala base with a needle. I tend to use that more often, but I'm also drifting more to using cannula for the rest of it if there's an element of volume loss. Um, and sometimes you can do the job pretty well without the needle, just using a cannula too. Um, so it's worth learning those cannula skills so that you have that in your toolbox. Okay. Yeah. Fine. So Botox then. How, what, what techniques can we use in this, in this area? So you, the only reason to inject Botox in the, in the nasolabial fold is that you're, you're, you're basically adjusting in someone who's, who's quite hypertonic with the muscles that elevate the lip that is also act, it's activating some of the fold. So it's a bit like a gummy smile treatment where it's the levator labii like nasi muscle that um, in certain people they just have a rest, degree of resting tone that in causes a fold. It's often very very thin people actually where, they, where you can just see a, a little a sense of a snarl and it creates a nasolabial fold that's, that's more about the activity of the muscle than it is about volume loss. And, and you can it's very similar to treating a, a gummy smile, maybe a slightly lower dose. Um, but you've also got to be careful about 
the whether they have or haven't got a gummy smile. So if they have a relatively low lip and that effect and you drop their lip, then they may not be happy even if their fold is improved. I have to say it's more basically dermal filler does the same thing as Botox in that case anyway and usually there's an element of volume loss and it's a bit more controllable than Botox and it lasts longer so I tend to use filler way 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 more than than Botox. Do you ever combine the two of those techniques? Um, For gummy smile we do yeah sometimes I've now drifted from just using Botox to then just using filler to now use filler and then if, if it's not strong enough then I'll use a drop of Botox as well. Okay so that's a new technique to me actually so you're saying that for some people, a deep nasolabial fold is caused by overactivity of a muscle here. Is it the levator labi superioris muscle? Uh, that might be involved, or the elecnasi. Both both the of the lip elevators can, can, can be involved. Okay. And at the point of injection, you're going to be very close to each because they, they might meet in that area. Okay. So you might be affecting both, really. It's a deep injection, isn't it? Full needle length of, of Botox. Yes. And on average, about is it two to four units? Um, I'm after having a few people have too much of a of a drop. Right when I first started doing, it, I tend to be a little bit lower than average. So I'm, I'm kind of one to two units. One to two. Okay. I guess it's probably wise to say that we wouldn't necessarily recommend people to try this unless they've been taught it properly and observed injecting. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Would you say? Okay. Um, fine. So yeah that, that's a new one for me so and it, like you said it's the same it's the same technique as what we use for gummy smile but you've got to be cautious about those clients who have i think it, is it called an incompetent jaw where when at rest if their lips don't meet felicity was talking about this once um if their lips don't meet at rest then it means that their jaw possibly is more receded or it's an incompetent smile i can't remember the, the word so there are people you've got to be careful of when you do a gummy smile treatment because um, I think it can it can accentuate that and make it worse. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the in the lower face as well. Like when you when you're getting involved with mentalis, um, Botox and things like that, that that muscle is involved with pulling your lower lip up. Okay. And um, and that's also that's definitely a, a maybe it was mentalis. Well, we're going to get Felicity on the show at some point to teach us some some dental things. Yeah. For which I know very little. So that will be useful. Okay. Any anything else to mention, technique wise? Um, well, I suppose the, the final thing to say would be bridging the gap between toxins and and fillers is this whole concept of myomodulation in, the, in that you can actually do something very similar. It's like a weak form of toxin that lasts longer with filler. And um, most people are actually leaning towards that now that we've realized it because it's it's a softer and more controllable effect than just using muscle relaxant each time. And I've certainly... My practice is you, from being 50-50 for years is now getting to 60 and sometimes seven, some, some months it's 70-30 in terms of ratio of toxin to filler. Okay. So just tell us a bit more about myomodulation. So the, the concept of myomodulation is that you're affecting the, the resting tone of the muscle and the dynamic strength of the muscle through, through something that's a bit like Starling's effect on the heart. So if you remember that from your physiology as, a, as an undergrad. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Tip of my tongue. Don't um, the overlap of the myofibrils in the heart um, are affected. The, the strength, the degree of overlap affects the strength. So the more that you stretch the capsule of the heart, the, the weaker the initial contraction. And similarly, at the other end of the spectrum, if it's very contracted, it's not that strong either. So the midpoint is the strongest part, and stretching it reduces the strength. So if you, if you stretch a muscle, the, 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 the initial contraction of that is weaker until it reaches the, the midpoint, 
at which case it'll then it'll get close to its average strength so as faces lose volume they they tend to be the muscle tends to pull itself more towards its strongest point so although the muscles are older they're actually paradoxically stronger than they are in a, in a younger face in terms of their resting tone mm. and you get things like your you, you know pursed lips so that you look your mouth looks a bit smaller um and smoker's lines become more evident yep due to ubicularis oris doing yep. that and that hybrid, that expression during smiling or any expression just becomes more enhanced, more almost more cartoon-like. It's more exaggerated, and just by replacing the volume, you harmonise the face, and it's an it's an amazing effect when you see it. But you've got to look for it because I've I've been doing it's it's thanks to these this MD code um, tour that that you can see the before and afters and the dynamic difference because we're very good at taking pictures of a still face. I don't think. Before, I was taking enough pictures of really dynamic faces for filler. You do it for Botox. But yeah. now, taking a picture of someone doing a big smile before and after a nasolabial fold, you'll see that what was a slightly snarly smile is now softened. And it's really beautiful and subtle, but important effect. Ah, that's interesting. Any other areas specifically with fillers where that, I mean, is that the same for cheeks? Yeah, if you inject a cheek, you'll reduce the tone of orbicularis um, oculi. Um, if you inject forehead, the same thing. You might have less of a, of a jagged eyebrow lift. Mm. Um, it's basically everywhere to one degree or another. Chins do it, you know, poply chin, um, as they call it, that protruding lower lip because of the hypertonic mentalis muscle. All of that is adjusted by adding a little bit of volume to that area. Yeah. And the, the word is harmony. It just softens those transitions and, and mellows the face out um, instead of the, the kind of more harsh, um, almost brittle expression when it's when it's unopposed by fat as you lose it we've had one client recently where we did two or three mils of bow lift for forehead reshaping and i think that then meant that there was no need for for toxin in the forehead the, the improvement to the lines there was just amazing it really was along with brow lift and everything else yeah. all the other improvements so that's another example I yeah imagine. it's great particularly for those people who have lines near their eyebrows that you can't get with toxin yeah. and they have a little bit of volume loss it can be a really good solution Great. Uh, in terms of pitfalls, last thing to mention, I suppose, the only thing I can think of to add, possibly, and this is coming from my own experience, pitfalls of injecting the nasolabial fold is, I, I think depth, uh, when you're going down the fold, let's, let's assume we're using a, a needle, um, is really important. And I think initially when I first started doing them, I wasn't, when I pulled up on the skin, I probably wasn't seeing the shape of the needle, meaning I was just that little bit too deep. Um, and it actually makes quite a big difference to the result that you get. So um, I was just I was getting underwhelming results for for several weeks, and I was I was questioning why that was. And it wasn't until someone observed that it was just a fractional; it was a millimeter too deep. But it was just that depth check with the needle, which is obviously what we teach now. If you can see a bit of an outline when you do the depth check, then we know that we're at a, a better uh, depth to get a result down the fold. Yeah. And isn't it, isn't it true there are so many things like that where you're you're so close and it's sometimes just trial and error that you you do something slightly different. This is how a lot of these things are discovered. Mm-hmm. Is you just you battling with trying to get a better result and you try something different and it works and then it becomes part of your practice going forward. Mm. That's why there's no substitute for experience really. But on the contrary, I have seen some probably intradermal injections down there where you've seen the Tyndall effect, so the filler has been evident or palpable, particularly with ultra range. So the difference between the two depths, not, not being too superficial or too deep, it's, it's, it's very subtle. But the, that depth check for me was really helpful, just yeah. pulling up. Okay, so uh, that's our podcast about 
the nasolabial fold. And now for the consultation hack of the week. Um, okay, so this is um, something that I unconsciously, well, actually, I probably most of the stuff I do in the, in the consultation that's extra is all developed unconsciously through responding to people. So if, you, if you're good at reading people and seeing how they react, you, you naturally adjust your behavior to make, to make the consultation feel nicer. Um, and one of the things that I learned quite rapidly is to, is to choose words that, that resonate differently. So for example, with going deep onto the bone, as I was saying before, instead of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to have to hit the bone because <laughs> that's how deep I need to be, I'm going to have to kiss the bone, just sounds a lot less threatening. Yeah. Um, and actually thinking about that principle across the board, there are endless things you can do to make it feel nicer. So um, just reflect on how often you use the word pain versus discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's that sort of thing where you can get the message across in a way that doesn't highlight that emotional part of their brain that will put them in a fear state. You're trying to make it feel mellow and safe and comfortable place to be obviously without lying at all. So you're not, it's not about pulling the wool over their eyes. It's just about getting the information across in a, in a non-threatening, gentle way, and it makes everything flow a lot better. The brain plays such a huge part in our pain perception, doesn't it? And, and this is part of it as well, I think, what you're alluding to. It, it almost prepares people mentally. If you can put them at ease, then they're going to perceive that pain less. Just as an example, this morning I was treating a girl who was extremely anxious, and even with the the toxin injection she was jumping all over the place she then watched um, me do a treatment on her mum and I used a combination of cannula and needles and first of all she said oh my god you're so gentle with the needle Um, all the videos I've seen online have really shocked me and that's why I was so scared but now that I've seen how how you actually perform that procedure she said I feel totally different about it so it'll be interesting to see if if she perceives that pain less this Mm. time because she was so tense and and tight so along with the wording i think that will that will have helped her as well yeah i think anticipation of is so important and that's basically what you did you've you've changed her anticipation by by showing her what it's really like mm. how you can do it more gently i i'm i'm sure that makes a difference to how it feels on the day yeah. you just drop the anxiety level a bit yeah i was just um, smiling before when we started talking about this because do you remember we a few weeks ago we mentioned about uh, mirroring but in terms of body language the exact position you're in now just about two minutes ago i was like this <laughs> we're both l- leaning over to the left with our right hand on our hip um, we're in rapport we're in rapport that's good to know. <laughs> were you doing it on purpose no that's the funny thing it was completely yeah, subconscious yeah. Oh, right. stop <laughs> flirting tim <laughs> um so that wraps up episode seven things you didn't know about treating the nasolabial fold i hope that was useful please give us some feedback and we'll see you next week thanks very much dr tim yeah, um, I can just echo that from Adam. Um, you guys can email Skin Viva Training. Um, you can direct message me on Facebook. You can follow me on, at Dr. Tim Pierce on Facebook. Um, you can even tweet. I don't think I go on Twitter very much. But, but basically, any questions you have, we would love to have more. Because I'm getting lots of nice stuff back. Some people were saying that we were too quiet, so hopefully we've solved that problem. But please let us know. It means the world to us to have, have your feedback, um, ideas, things you'd like more of things we can improve on would be great just get in touch with us and we'd appreciate that see you next week thanks guys